welcome to another episode of the Autism Podcast. I'm James Gordon, and we have with us today a special co-host, Mr. Tigger Pritchard. Hello, Hello. everybody. Hiya. And you may uh, recognise Tigger from, we've had him on the podcast before several times. And it was lush. I enjoyed it very much so. Thank you. And we also have a fantastic guest today, the one called Kirsty Pillow. Hello! And you're a really fascinating person to speak to, I think, because you've got so many areas of experience in neurodiversity and special educational needs. And Indeed. No pressure then. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my first question is maybe you could tell us a little bit about your own personal journey with autism oh wow it's a big question um so I suppose kind of going back to the beginning um my first experience is sort of on my sort of journey I don't really don't like that word it's such a cliche but Mm. I guess that's what it is um was with my own son um who's now 11 and I think when he was around about the age of two he was just different, but fascinatingly different. So um, super smart, super switched on, very bright. Um, I'm, I remember his first word, kid you not, five months old, wasn't mama, dada, wasn't kind of bleating babbles. It was ball. Mm. So even that in itself was like, whoa, okay. Because he was fascinated by balls and then when he crawled he would chase balls and then throw them and and even then I kind of thought wow this is this is crazy um and then when he was about two I did a lot of I loved to play with him and we just invented so many awesome games and I can remember teaching him his phonics and the alphabet and I did that by stringing loads of ball pulls different kind of ball pulls on a string tying it to the fence and we would do ah and we would go along like that and I swear he got phonics and the alphabet down pat in five days he was just there and by the time he went to nursery could read fluently and it was just little things like that where I thought you know my sister has got a lot of children my brother has a lot of children they're both older than me and I thought this is not atypical and it just fascinated me and then we had a little bit of fussiness with food we had a lot of playing alongside children not really sort of getting involved and then his brother was born when Reuben was about two and a half and there was no animosity towards his brother there was no uh, viciousness but there was a complete ignorance to the fact he was there it was a complete I will acknowledge that I won't acknowledge that thing in the corner it makes noise I don't understand it it's new to me it's taken attention away from me. Um, and I can remember for the first three to four weeks of Leo's life thinking, well, we can't send this back. So <laughs> what do we do? How, you know, yeah. and how do we get our son to engage with us? How do we get our son to engage with the new member of the family? Um, and it took about two months. And I will never forget that he was sat on the sofa. And I have a picture of it. It's still my favorite picture. I put Leo into his lap really tentatively and he just kind of looked at him 
And Leo looked at him with really big, adoring eyes. And for the first time, Ruben just smiled and looked down at him and just stroked his forehead. Mm. And then that was just the beginning of a really intensive, close brotherly bonding. They're still super tight. They're nine and 11, get on each other's nerves chronically, but are really super tight. But just a combination of those kind of pieces of the puzzle made me think, yeah, something is different here. Something is really different here. Um, And then, of course, he'd started nursery. That was really hard. Huge separation anxiety on both ends, I think. Um, Again, really smart, really capable when he was engaged. But socialisation was really hard. Sensory needs were really hard. Um, And that kind of started us off on our journey, really. Um, And I think, you know, he's 11 years of age now really just growing at a rapid rate, really blossoming into his own person with his own voice. And he's developed really strong advocacy. And I, I would say for the, at least the past two or three years, he's just Reuben. I, 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 I completely, I don't see the autism anymore. I just see him. It's, and it's interesting. Been, I was wondering, when did autism or autistic enter your vocabulary? Oh, okay. So, like, this is going to sound so bizarre. Um, Around that time when he was very fussy with food and something just changed really rapidly and he wouldn't eat. Um, And I don't know what made me think it. Most people would just think it's just a phase. And that was what my entire family said. It's just a phase. Don't worry, it will pass. Mm. And I thought, no, (laughs) no. with how rapidly he learns, with how delayed his physical, because he didn't walk until he was about 15 months old, but he could speak really early. With all those different things adding up in my head, I do have a very analytical brain. So I just thought, no, this this doesn't feel right to me. And I went to um, the health worker and really quietly said to her, I don't know how to say this, but I think my son might be autistic. And she said, whoa. That's a huge I'm, 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 I'm intrigued where you knew the term autism. I mean, I'm intrigued where it entered your know, brain. I honestly, and where I you knew I, what? I wish I could tell you. Um, right. You know, I'm an avid reader of things. Yeah. I read a lot. I love things about emotions and the brain and how things work together. There was just, I don't know where I got it from. Maybe I read it in passing, but there was just something there that made me think, I think it's autism. And ever since that day, I kind of haven't stopped obviously he's got older my knowledge of him my knowledge of autism um Mm. and neurodiversity sort of as a whole has grown and so i i i know if if i feel something intuitively in my gut with him i'm bang on i know that now i did not know Mm. that then but there was still something in me that needed to follow my trailer thought i thought no i know i'm onto something here um uh, and, you know, even at the ages of three and four, when we were see- seeing paediatricians, that was interesting um, because even then, because he could read really well and hold eye gaze for a fraction of a second, he was deemed as not autistic. Yeah, no, uh, I, was, I, was, I was waiting for you to say that. I was waiting for you because at the moment it's like it's in my vocabulary all the time when I speak to parents, I must confess, is I was waiting for you to say, oh, no, he can't be autistic because. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, we've had that. Yeah. We, we had that for a long, long time. Even at school, it was um, 
we can see the things that you see. They're absolutely there. He um, moves around the classroom all the time, constantly. He wants to be engaged in everything all at once. He struggles with noise. He plays alongside. But it, that could be developmental. So let's just wait. And there's this magic age of seven years old. We have to wait until he's seven years old. And to be honest, back then, oh, hold my hands up. I knew no better. And I challenged that in my ways, but I challenged that from the inside of school. So I was that parent and I was in there all of the time asking the questions, pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. But it's in a different way to how I push now, I think, very different way. So we did have to wait until he was seven. We were put on, obviously, the ASDAC waiting list for a diagnosis. And mm -hmm. I was sat down. And at that point, he'd moved from being out of reception in year one, super high-flying kid, um, literally graded 1A for everything when he came out of that room because, of course, it's all learning through play. It's physical. It's sensory. It's engaging. And then you move to years two and three, and you're told to sit down and be quiet and listen. And he just unraveled so fast in that classroom for years two to three. Make no mistake when I say we lost our child in a really big, really distressing way. It was horrific. Um, and so put on the ASDAT waiting list and the head teacher sat me down and said, I just want to make you aware that there's a two year waiting list before you even get an appointment. And I said, no. And he was like, what, what do you mean? No, that that's just how it is. I said, no, he's not waiting. I'm not, I will not have it. And I really rapidly became that parent. <laughs> um, and I hammered on that as that door and hammered and hammered and hammered until it, they got so sick of me, I think it opened. Um, so between applying to kind of have that, be on it as that waiting list to get him diagnosed formally was eight months. And I've not, I've not heard of anyone do that faster. Mm. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I became a nightmare. Um, and I don't apologise for that. No, no, it's, 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 it's one of those things. I mean, regrettably, I think it's the same in, in most counties across at least Britain, yeah. is that when I've worked and met parents, you know, I've said, be that parent, be that one that when they pick up the phone, they go, oh God, it's him, it's her. Yes. You know, um, because that's the only way you're going to knock that door down. It and is. it's a real, real shame, but it is. And I'm... It is the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. It really is. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that um, in a lot of places, um, I, I guess that I kind of have that bit of a formidable reputation and presence. And that's okay with me. Um, because it, it isn't about me. It's actually about teaching my child that if I can be passionate about his life and where I think he deserves and has the potential to go, then he can be passionate and have and, and believe in his own potential. And I've always involved him throughout every single step of that journey. Whenever we've seen anybody, I've always obviously kept it age appropriate, but I've never just taken him and, and put him through things that he wasn't aware of what was going on and why it was needed. Um, and I think that's, that's been really key because 11 years of age he's got such a huge capacity for emotional intelligence and how to say this is not okay for me or this doesn't feel okay but I'm going to give that a go and I'm going to see how that rides um so yeah I, I, I don't miraculously don't regret 
yeah, don't regret being that parent. We'll always be that parent. We'll always be. Yeah. Good. <laughs> question in a nutshell. It's such a huge journey. It just changes all the time and evolves all the time. Um, but it, to, to, to use your word, Tigger, it's gorgeous. It actually is. And the more of his own person he's becoming, the more I'm just like, dude, you rock. Just never change. You know, you've got this. You've so got this. Who doesn't want to be fascinating? Who doesn't want to have yeah, a fascinating yeah, child? Yeah. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. So the fact that it took that number of months is awesome. Mm-hmm. So that's his personal journey through the autistic world. Yeah. Um, how did you find, how, how, how did other people relate to you? How did other people accept you, him? Along that journey, what else was going on around you? How were people accepting of, the, of what you were finding out and of, of, oh, wow. of you know, how so, you were progressing? If I may ask. <laughs> so uh, obviously back then I was married and most of my family, indeed my husband at the time and my mum, were kind of adamant that, you know, it's a big old word to be batting around. It's, it's, it's just a phase. He'll come out of it. Um, he's just a very bright child. All the usual stuff, all mm-hmm. the usual phrases mm-hmm. you'd hear. And it, it, there were points where it made me feel awful for thinking it. Like, you know, but actually I can remember still having that kind of strong feeling in the gut of, I feel awful actually that it's having the impact on other people that it's having, but in my gut, I just need to know. And then when I know I can help him. Mm. And it it was that simple to me. I wasn't frightened of it. I don't think I've ever been frightened of it. I've not been frightened of his autism or or the person he is or anything he needs. What's frightened me is the reaction of people around him. That's what scares me. That's what scares me. I get that. Um, and and that's and that is and that is the thing you are constantly trying to scaffold. That is the thing as a parent you are you know you, that is the biggest deal. So yeah, for a while I, it very much felt like a really lonely journey. Like it was just my thing that I was carrying to try and understand my son and how he worked. Um, and I think gradually as he got older, people were kind of seeing, okay, this phase is this is years this is this is still ongoing this is getting worse we you know they could see his sensory seeking they could see that socially he wasn't kind of arriving at the same point as his peers all those things started to add up for other people um Mm -hmm. yeah and so my and my experience i suppose in the sort of autism community i'm sort of talking about meeting other parents and kind of almost sort of creating your own tribe I've met some gorgeous people who um, who I couldn't have got through certain phases and points in our journey without. But I've also met people who, when they hear that I've hammered at the door and I've got the thing, I know I can see they're angry with me. And But I don't take that personally. I know that's come from a place of pure frustration that I do that. Why doesn't it work for me? Or I can't do that because I just don't have the confidence to do that. Well, I see what you mean. So what, what you're saying is they're, they're, they are 
angry because they banged on the door as you did, but didn't yeah. get as far as you got in that period of time. No, I, can, I didn't get that at first, but no, I can understand that as well. I can really yeah, see totally. the parent I, thinking that. I can that. absolutely understand that. And, and you know what? That's, that has happened with different people. They may, they may not vocalise that, but I'm very attuned. Like I've got, a, that is, I suppose is my hypersense and my neurodiversity is I'm hyper-tuned to energies and hyper-tuned to those little nuances that maybe most people won't pick up on and I think even when I got my son's EHCP when I got him into a special needs school I think maybe some people thought this just seems to come so easy for her whatever she goes for she gets why is that um and I think maybe at one point or another I felt almost maybe sometimes let down by my own people like, I kind of thought, you you know how hard this is. Why can you not be happy for my victories and my wins like I would be for you? Mm. Um, but then I just realised, you know, they're coming from a, a place of frustration and pain that I was once in myself. Um, and And actually, I don't feel the need to sit down and tell people how I got there, that it was literally blood, sweat, tears, endless paperwork endless money endless digging researching um and a a great a great cost to my own personal mental health a lot of the time um and and bearing in mind I was doing all of this digging and relentlessness without knowing I was neurodiverse myself and then wonder why I would circle back around to burnout all the time um but I don't feel the need. If anyone wanted to sit down and say, how did you do that? Please explain this to me. I would happily do that. But I no longer feel the need to say, yes, my son has an EHCP. Yes, he's in a, a special needs school. And then explain how I got that. Because I know I earned that. I know my son has earned that. And I'm kind of secure in that. But it, no, it's not always been easy. There's been a lot in our way. There's been a lot of really lonely times where I've just had to go keep the end goal in sight you are doing this for his future don't apologize to anybody always be kind to the people you meet be compassionate to the people you meet but go on your way and that's what i've done i think a lot of people that we per se everybody meet along the way only ever see that first point of contact they never see the other bit of the iceberg yeah they never see what goes behind the pain the angst the blood the sweat the tears the mental health issues etc because in a way they don't, you know, they may not want to, they haven't got time, they're, they're wrapped up in their own angst as well. So I can, I can really understand that as well. And that makes the journey for you, I suspect. I don't know, it, 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 must, it must be gratifying when you're with people that get it. Yes. Because there must be a sense of ease then. But when you're yeah. with people that don't, yes. obviously then that, that makes it a bit more complex. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think you're right. I think people take things at face value. Um, and I guess, you know, when I'm potentially in a group of other parents and we're kind of sharing different stories and and we might be on a particularly positive role and then I come out with, oh, you know, yes, I've, you know, I've just got my, my child into one of the best special needs schools in the county. Then I suppose, even as I say that, I can hear the wind gushing out of several sails. Um, you know, but actually they don't realise that I had a two-year fight for that. I home educated my child for two years. I made the decision to pull him out of mainstream education. And alongside doing that, I plotted and I schemed and I fought. And uh, on my own, most of the time, 
Um, and so I think if they knew, okay, yes, I am that person that can somehow, some way, get into a mindset and pull myself together and go into a meeting and absolutely own the meeting. But I'm also the person that gets in her car, bursts into tears, mm. goes home, shakes, is nauseous, has a headache, has raging pain all over my body because I do also have a chronic pain condition and then could be in bed for the rest of the week and, and just trying to march through the week of getting the kids to school and doing all the right things. If they saw that side of, of me, because that's the side, of course, I'm a big masker. You're not going to see that. And you're definitely not going to see that when I'm advocating for my son. You will never see the weakness. Um, and that, I that, totally get that one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's certainly when you mentioned about um, family and that kind of thing, not really getting it at first and... Uh, that's all it's all sort of a very familiar picture because I sort of went through a similar thing uh, I was a single parent but um, my family sort of were in denial about it for a long time as well so I, I sort of get that and um, there sort of needs to be a lot more done about educating the public and it, it sort of just goes to show how it's sort of been standing still for quite a while with that side of things I think it's really interesting how we all know there's so many delightful parenting courses available um, because, you know, it's that your child can't be neurodiverse. It's clearly got to be your parenting uh, and I would mm. be here for hours. <laughs> so I yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't get me started. Either. I think we, we could all have seven days worth of podcasts honestly, for that. Same and, here. Um, yeah. But it's very interesting how there isn't anything opened up ever to your wider family why can't there be something even if it was a day or two workshop to get your to get your grand to get grandparents involved to get siblings involved i mean that's that as a family there's not that much out there for that is there because i think i think historically attention to potentially to older generations in your family and they hear that word for them the connotation is is oh no that's that it's almost like a dirty word or you know does that you know your child's not naughty your child's not this he's not aggressive he's not climbing the walls he's not this he's not that he doesn't fit that that really sort of pre pre and ill-conceived picture of something that's been built up over their generations that they grew up with and so when you try and have that conversation with them and you as a curious person and an open-minded person are met by fear just blind fear and I think you're going to go either one of two ways you're either going to shut down entirely or you're going to have that little quiet determination of no this is not a bad thing. I just need to understand this thing. And I think maybe by inviting the wider family in, you hopefully banish that fear. We start to talk about it. We start to, or at least open up about that fear and discuss that mm-hmm. fear and really kind of work through the myths and the legends around that, I think. Because I'm an old fogey, because you folks know I am, there actually was something like that in this county, but it was 25 years ago. And what's really sad is that it never progressed any further. It was a series of one-off events. It was done by some support uh, agencies down here. Um, I remember knowing about it, being involved in part of it, but that's 25 years ago. And then there's, there's nothing. And, and I think that, as you've said, I think, as we all know, as you know, individuals that keep very up-to-date in this ever-changing globe that we're on, that I think, and you, you know, 
you said about the parent courses and so on. I am gobsmacked in this 21st century that we are in that so many people's viewpoint of autism uh, throughout through the ages to a certain degree, maybe not so much the youngsters of sorts, but uh, for a certain age, it's, it is purely that medical model. It's a little bit enhanced by television, which is changing subtly things, but still so many people are stuck with Rain Man. Still so many people are stuck on the medical model of what autism is. And that, that I find fascinating. Even the professionals, in the 21st century, I find that devastatingly fascinating. And the, the word fascinating isn't a positive use of the word, forgive me, but mm. it sounds yeah. like it is, but it isn't. Yes. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's kind of bewildering to, yeah, to get your head around their way of thinking. Yeah, very difficult. I, th- I think the older generations, um, you mentioned grandparents and things like that. It, it was certainly that the case with um my parents as well but maybe not to not to the degree with with um when looking at my son but when i came to look back and question my own life uh, and because i was as a lot of parents do you think how can i have this amazing understanding of my child when the professionals <laughs> are always one step behind you know yeah. and, and your point things out to them yeah 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 so <laughs> You eventually think, is there some kind of, you know, am I on the same kind of journey that, that they were, you know? Um, and I think uh, parents and uh, grandparents um, certainly, were, they, they've had that kind of stigma their whole lives that there's a stigma around autism and, and completely the, the wrong message. And, and that's why we kind of do the podcast a lot of the time because a lot of our our charity's aims are to to push back against that stigma and to educate people. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a a generation or two ago, it, you know, I always think about when I read sort of the Neurotribes book and thinking about, you know, refrigerator mothers and Mm. how children were taken away and put away in asylums, never to be seen. And I think, you know, hopefully we are moving away from that whole connotation and the idea that, Autism is only this super severe thing um, and it means that you are incredibly mentally ill and it's some kind of deficit. Hopefully we're moving away from that. But there is still there's still those nuances in certain generations. You can you just know it. You should just I mean, know it's, it. it's interesting. Again, I'm going back to the age thing. It's really horrible. You know, this has been, you know, professionally than the personally bit now, but, but professionally 30 years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I can remember back in 1987 learning about autism. I remember working somewhere being told that the eight individuals or so that I worked with, the only people who were, you know, um, autistic in the whole county. And what I have seen is that journey of Mm -hmm. this being tried out and that being tried out and this and that technique and that approach and this and so on. And it's, there has been a change. But I think what I'm realising now is that change... (sighs) isn't as quick as it should be or it needs to be and I think now there's a generation coming through who are more aware of what it means to be autistic from a positive viewpoint they've had positive role models Mm -hmm. and so I'm really intrigued to see what this next generation does with what it means to be somebody autistic and how how far they take it I agree I think there absolutely is just across the board in a lot of ways um 
people are, are really starting to speak up and speak out about their experiences and I suppose that is the you know the one great thing about social media and platforms um and I suppose dare I say the word woke but everybody everybody whatever that means everybody is is kind of not afraid to research not afraid to ask I don't know enough about this can you tell me about this and researching and reading up across all kinds of movements so yeah I agree it'll be really interesting to kind of see Ruben's generation and Leo's generation and and all the the people that come up and how that really does impact them hopefully we'll just have a, a really amazing generation of really compassionate kind tolerant yeah. creatures who are curious who are not afraid to ask those questions and take on the answers that would be lovely wouldn't it that would be absolutely awesome yeah um another point that comes from what you're saying about neurotribes is um and about history the history of autism it was and still is in a lot of professional circles touted as this only male condition <laughs> the male brain, <laughs> they called it, you know, and girls and women just didn't feature in it at all, you know, so got these these massive, massive sort of drain on, on mental health and that kind of thing because a lot of people went undiagnosed mm-hmm. and they're only just catching up with the diagnostic yeah. format now. Yeah, absolutely. There absolutely is a lost generation of people. Um, and I'm in that lost generation. I was only diagnosed myself last year. Um, and like you said, penny dropping moment where you suddenly realize, oh, the things that my child does. Yeah, this is why I get them. This is why I'm a step ahead of them all the time. This is why I can problem solve for them so well and not so much for myself. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I went in, um, to see if I was on the spectrum myself and so me and my son are kind of mirror images so my diagnosis was ADHD with ASD traits and his is the reverse he's ASD with ADHD traits so (laughs) and it was really bizarre because thinking about it I was so convinced because my son looks like my dad speaks like my dad has the same mannerisms and I just thought, and 100% my dad is undiagnosed autistic and, and he's really hitting those, he's 66 now. And the older he gets, the more routine, regimented, clock watching, everything has to be exactly so. Um, it's very textbook classic. And I was convinced that my son had had, had that from his granddad. Didn't remotely think about me in the middle at all didn't enter my head um it's fascinating isn't it and then suddenly you go on this own journey about learning about who you are and what goes on for you but unlearning a whole load of stuff a whole load of unhealthy coping mechanisms because you suddenly realize that you don't want to cope you want to you want to live and you want to be true to yourself and it's it's I know Tigger you've gone through this in a massive way this year haven't you and it's just and what a time to be doing it in the middle of the strangest of times that we've that we've had ever experienced yeah it, 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 it is fascinating I know you watch some of the stuff I put out there yeah Bob. I like, love it I genuinely I love it I watch I, um, it in bed. 
and, and I see in the videos, it was never meant to be that personal. It was never meant to be that personal. There's something cathartic about a year ago, I never would have done this. And I've been forced to do it by the situation we find ourselves in globally. And, you know, other friends will say the same. I never would have done this. You guys were pushing me and prodding me to do things. I didn't want to do it. Um, but the, 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 the journey of, of um, self-exploration and identity and understanding is amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of other words I could use as well, but I'll stick with amazing. It's like, wow. And, and, and I mean, I mean, I mean I've, I've got a whole video out there in the back garden. This is where it happened to me. Was there a moment for you where you went ping? Or was it a gradual effect for you? Um, so, okay. So our gorgeous, lovely friend, who I really miss, actually. I've not seen her for ages. Lovely Joe jo Grace. Um, as you know, I met Joe um, on a sensory workshop day that the lovely Down Syndrome Cornwall group invited me to. Um, I know them well. Very good. And some people. Yeah, they are. They are a gorgeous bunch of people. And... I remember at some point or another in the course of that day, Joe sort of tentatively put out there, I don't tell lots of people this, but I am actually autistic. And me, little Miss ADHD, went, duh. Um, and she was kind of like, oh, okay. And I said, well, come on, you don't, you don't do what you do and not be quirky and not really have something at your roots that, that, that calls to you to do this. That, that's obvious she's one of those people that is born to do what she does and that comes from somewhere um so obviously joe and i through you know being I, I guess quirky outspoken people kind of developed a friendship over that year but one day she just said to me in a lovely way you know you're autistic right i was like am i she goes yeah go go get diagnosed i went okay sounds like joe <laughs> <laughs> and that was that it was as simple as that and I kind of went away and, and really started to think about how things were for my son and really started to look back and unpick because I just presumed that I that my mental health I was just really fragile and really weak and that I cycled through anxiety and depression that I was boom or bust and that was just who I was um and yeah, obviously so much of, of my real growing up, I did alongside watching my children grow up and, mm. you know, and not just your average child. I had to really invest so much time and energy that there was not time and energy to think about myself. So I kind of went away and I thought, and I thought, I said, okay, I'm just going to let this sink in. I'm just going to is this something I want to explore? And I think it just got to a point where I just thought, yeah, I, I, I need to know. I need to know this because I see the way understanding and knowledge helps my son. I see the way that scaffolding and learning those coping mechanisms and, and just, just understanding why you, why you do things in a certain way. I see how that frees up so much in him. So why would I not give that to myself? Um, so I did. I contacted um, Outlook Southwest. Uh, I think I waited for 18 months. Really, really hard 18 months. But, you know, again, and really astoundingly, obviously nowhere near as long as people wait to have their children diagnosed, which is ludicrous at such a, you know, when you think about how children change at such a rapid pace 
particularly in their school journeys, um, crazy. And I, and I went to the appointment, super nervous, and instinctively, I can remember really distinct, really distinctly thinking, I'm either going to go in that room and I'm going to mask the crap out of this, or I'm going to fight the mask so hard and come across as a lunatic, and I don't know which one to go for. And I think I did a gorgeous interpretation of both, um, which this lovely lady, uh, Gemma Dyson, don't know if you've ever come across her, mm. um, could, could see through quite well. Um, and it was done over about two or three sessions. And by the end of it, she kind of said, you are fascinating. You are highly neurodiverse, but you don't fit any moulds. And I thought that comes from my son because that's all I ever heard about him, that he's got so many different, you know, he's, sensory processing disorder, um, severe dyspraxia, ASD, ADHD, epileptic. So he's got all these different things that go on. So that didn't surprise me. But she said, but there, there just isn't quite enough for you to hit that criteria of having a solid autism diagnosis. So I said, okay. So I can absolutely see that you have attachment disorder. I said, yeah, definitely could work that out for myself. Done therapy in my time know where that comes from, can understand all of that. She said, I've got one more card up my sleeve. Let me go and get this piece of paper and bring it to you. Wait there. So, okay, so I'm in the, in the chair, trying desperately not to stim, try not to get up and straighten the picture on the wall. Um, <laughs> I know I can see you doing it, but it's all good because I'm doing it here as well. On my, I'm doing it on my trouser leg, like a newsreader. Um, and she brought me down this, this sheet, different questions on it. You know, it was one of those do you do this never do you do this very often and I'm ticking down through and I'm going with every tick I'm going oh my god this 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 is me it's exactly how I felt with Reuben when I read the book the out of sync child oh yeah like yeah. bang that's my son now I get it and I, I read this through and it was this big oh my god and I handed it back and she said how did that feel I went it's all me that is, I could not write anything more succinctly. That's all me. And she went, do you know what this is? And I just looked at her and I went, oh my gosh, it's ADHD, isn't it? She said, mm-hmm. And I score something like 90 odd percent. It's quite, quite mm. high, really quite, you know, I'm solidly in there. Um, and suddenly coming away and sitting in the car, it was a real mixture of relief and astonishment but the biggest feeling funnily enough and one I wasn't prepared for was massive sadness but not because of the diagnosis but because I have I just realized you have treated yourself so unkindly all of your life you've had such a low opinion of yourself all of your life you've had such low self-esteem you've never been compassionate towards yourself when you find something hard you've never been compassionate towards yourself when your mental health has suffered you push yourself when you you're completely burned out and I just felt really sad that I just didn't treat myself more kindly and I think that's that probably has started my journey with kind of that self-compassion and, and trying really hard just to be curious now about what goes on for me rather than kind of berating it and it's, seeing it's, it as a deficit. It is interesting because this new generation that follows us, and I am 
definitely older than both of you. This new generation that follows you and I, or generations that follow me, there is going to be a difference. There's going to be a difference in understanding and acceptance and self-care. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, uh, and understanding a positive understanding of identity and what it means to be neurodiverse. Yeah. And that's something that yeah, I think I'm, yeah, I mean, like you, very similar things. And I think that's a, you know, almost publicly it's a journey I'm on. Um, but no, very, very much so. I remember actually, um, so I, I, on Facebook, once I kind of got my head around it and said, okay, so this, this is, this is me and I'm learning about this and kind of wanted to share it because I am part of that generation of women in their sort of thirties and forties. And it's really rapid. I mean, I'm one of hundreds I'm learning mm. as I've become part of these little communities of people on, on online um, communities. And it's, it's such a really rapid growth of people waiting diagnoses autism adhd neurodivergent and and it made me think okay i want to when i choose to tell parts of my story and i can remember somebody at school on a christmas fair said to me i, I saw your post you went i want to ask a question why now but she asked it like really aggressively like what like you if you've gone all this time why now why do you want to why do you want to know this about yourself now? Why did you go for that diagnosis? And I kind of stopped and I thought, how do I explain this really succinctly? And I said to her, because I was done hating myself. Mm. And I just left it at that. And that is the most succinct succinct way I can think of, of why I went for that diagnosis, because I was done being hard on myself. And I just needed to know that yes, I work differently to quite a lot of the population but that's it's not a bad thing no it's not a different thing it's not it's not me working at a deficit um i'm just different and to treat myself with the same compassion as i, as I do my children so yeah that's where that, that's that's how that happened thank you yeah it's very interesting uh, when you said um mentioned about you know not not being kind to yourself and and pushing through even to exhaustion you know pushing through the pain things like that yeah i think a lot of that pressure came from society probably and the messages you're getting Mm -hmm. growing up and things like that society has put a lot of labels on people Uh, i remember from my school days you know being called lazy and things like that and eventually that if you call something enough times, it sticks and you think you are, you know, yeah. and it's very difficult to break out of that um, and to stop punishing yourself for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a certain amount of, of leeway you give yourself when you're young. You know, you think you're, well, you're allowed to mess things up. You're allowed to be lazy. You're allowed to be chaotic. But a big, a big part for me, and it, it, I will be absolutely frank, it still is a big part of my 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 practice of compassion and I, I sometimes make jokes about it on the days probably where it hurts the most because you know humor's my yeah, number one yeah. probably defense mechanism yeah, no, but, I get that one as well but but I really do think some days I I just really struggle with adulting I, I why can't I do why can't I be organized why can't I be consistent why can't I be still why can't I deal with being bored like a normal person? 
But to me, again, that's society telling you to sit at the oh, table and oh, eat your food, 100%. to sit at the school desk, to go to assembly, and you can go as many, you know, you know, the ideas that you want. It is, though, isn't it? It's yeah. that you've got to, you have to, you must, and it's in our brains. Yeah. From so and early I think, on. I think you're right, and I think you you absolutely have to come full circle and say, "Hang on a minute, whose voice is that? Because that's not mine. Yeah. Where's my voice?" And actually, the more you discover, the more I, I discover about Ruben and how he is and the kind of person he is and the way that I am, um, the more I think, actually, I, you know, I, I'm passionate. I can be really focused. I like to do a lot of things. I like to try a lot of things. I like to do first and think last. I am spontaneous. And when you think of all the things that are, are really amazing about yourself, you suddenly think, hang on a minute, maybe it's other people that are weird. <laughs> maybe actually this is absolutely well, again, dandy. You know, there's so much stuff out there. And I think there's, there's a lot of other people that, that you know, are out there, amazing stuff on the internet and so on and so forth to put it through very clearly that you are diagnosed with you cannot you yeah. are never diagnosed with wow you can yeah oh, wouldn't that be lush yeah. wow you can really oh you can whoa that is awesome yeah and you're not you're diagnosed with or oh, you can't can you and you can't and you can't and you can't and you think yeah. well hang on a minute i've spent a lot of and i, and I I'm, I'm really grateful i've done it with reuben and and actually i should say my little one leo who's nine um has also recently been di- diagnosed where he's dyslexic, severe dyspraxia, and 100% has got ADD. He is my child. If I ask him to go and get something, he will do 45 different other things up the stairs and entirely forget what is going on by the time he's got to the top. And we're very similar in a lot of ways, particularly on, on an emotional kind of level and how we express ourselves. So I know that's, I know that's on the horizon, but actually the really nice thing about already going down that path twice I suppose with kind of researching sort of neurodiversity is that I don't have any fear or any panic this time around I just feel uh that it's kind of like stepping into a comfortable pair of shoes I've walked this before we just need to figure out who you are how you want to work things what makes you comfortable what is okay for you what is not okay for you and everything else will just follow and fit into place wouldn't it be um, lovely if you could sell that comfortable pair of shoes in mm. varying different sizes to other parents yeah. and other carers so that they could have a pair of shoes that said to them, this is what happens next. Yeah. This is what happens now. This is what you have to do. Because there are you, still you know, absolutely those moments where, I'll, I'll be honest, there are days where I think, oh, wow, because I'm very aware that I've, I've just gotten my eldest son into a special needs school that I... I love them. I can't even express how incredible they are with him and how he's blossomed in so many ways. And it's fabulous. And there's a big part of me that takes this big, deep breath that, oh, and I've got Leo coming up hot on the heels. And have I got enough energy to do this? Have I got enough energy to to sustain it? But ultimately, on my best days, I know that answer is yes. Because I always will do. And he's got the energy to sustain himself because, again, he is different to Ruben. They present differently. They are different people. He will have his own path. Equally as quirky, I don't doubt. Um, Yeah, it's 
yeah it's a, it's a it's a weird one but I think like you were saying about when you have that diagnosis and you're presented with a list of okay we've got you know we've diagnosed you against this criteria this is what the criteria say that you struggle with that there is nothing on the other side of that no support for parents or or people adults or young people that have had that diagnosis to say but this this are all the reasons why you are a fabulous person and would be absolutely fine there is nothing there and I think with my own children I have developed and I keep practicing it with myself that actually we need to instead of saying I can't do this I'm really bad at this we we always call it reframing the language is how I say it no let's let's stop there let's reframe the language and let's say we find this really tricky so mm. what can we do about that? Do we want to do anything about it right now? Can we leave it where it is? Can we move along? And I always have those kinds of discussions with my children. And I have to do the same with myself on my really bad days where I'm like, oh, woman, you know, you're late to this. You've forgotten this. You can't do this. I have to just sit and repeal back and go today, right now, this is tricky. Tomorrow, I might be able to do it. Next week, I might be able to do it. I think it's that it's that re-education of who yeah. we are and as yeah. I said earlier on it's that bit where society is boxed and molded and made and we realize that that that, that box that mold is wrong for an awful lot of awesome human beings across this planet right? yeah. and it is it's having the, the strength to to do exactly what you said which is on some days to go okay I meant to do this it ain't happened so rather than beat myself to a pulp yeah. with ah I'm gonna go well actually okay look what did I achieve and let's just see how tomorrow goes. And you know, we're not even taught that in schools, are we? No. You know what I mean? You, you're, not, you're not taught the stuff to get by. And you're right, the, the, as you both know, and I know so well, the lack of, it is getting better. There's so many autistic-led organisations out there that are changing stuff. But you, you're right. I, I, like you, so many parents, so many families, so many individuals that go, what next? Yeah. What am I supposed to do now? Yeah. And it's like, it's like yeah, bye, take care. Yeah. What do I do now? You know, in the middle of a city somewhere going, I'm autistic. What happens next? Yeah. And that is slowly changing again, but it's not as quick as it should be. No, no, I completely agree. I think once you get a diagnosis that I can remember with Ruben's diagnosis, which was when he was eight. Um, it, there was, and I'm so, I'm so grateful that, that in some ways I had those years to read and research and, and, know almost what was coming up afterwards but for a lot of parents they get the diagnosis and I remember having the diagnosis over the phone then days later receiving a letter and all of the assessment reports and a sheet on this this is some useful links and let me tell you most of the links don't work I know I've had the sheet of paper and it's something, something we're talking about another hat on and it is like oh you know but it's an absolutely huge huge i mean i mean the the amount of assessments he went through and he had to go through them twice because he is very complex in how he presents so to go through all of that huge thing and then be told because it is a life-changing thing Mm. it can be a wonderfully life-changing thing but it is a life-changing thing and to be told that and then to be we're okay you've you've had that information and now we're going to drop you out it's just unbelievable to me it really that's that that, that's i mean that's that's the one thing i'm finding with the autistic online community as it is because we can't do much more at the moment 
But I am finding a safety, a peace, an education, an understanding, an acceptance, um, and billions of other things with the community that I'm now slowly emerging into. Yeah. And, and as you said, you know, what, what I think we have between us is that understanding, that experience, and the ability to put change into motion. Mm-hmm. Even, even, you know, even this is going to be heard by people who are going to take things from it and go, you know, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to just, you know, accept the fact that one viewpoint of me may be from a, you know, it's from that medical model. I'm going to research stuff and become proud of who I am as, a, as an individual, as a neurodiverse person. Yeah, absolutely. I just wish it would happen quicker. Yes. Yeah, one of the things um, that our charity is doing is um, a program called Solace, where it's, it's basically parents that have just had the diagnosis for their child can come to us and come on a, a group course with a psychotherapist that we've trained. And it's basically taking the stigma out of autism, out, mm. you know, out of the whole experience and, and educating people about things like neurodiversity and and at the end of it, usually we have a group of parents that, you know, they're, they're completely changed. And, and most of them have also formed friendships, which they've gone on to continue seeing each other in, in, in groups and things like that. Um, and I, I Isn't think that a really, fascinating thing to say? You awesome, because I, I would nick so many things from what you guys do up there in London. Tons of stuff if I had the chance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you are taking away the stigma. Because up until that point, the interactions with every other person, possibly they came into contact with, possibly from a professional viewpoint, possibly from a personal viewpoint as well, has increased that stigma. And at least you've got something there which, which enables parents and individuals to come up and, and to be educated as to what is, rather than yeah. what other people think is, which is, it's yeah. lush you've got that. It's a lovely antidote, isn't it, to the usual that you get. Oh, there's so much. There's so much. There's just, there's just, there's so many good ideas, isn't there? So many <coughs> things going on. We need more down here. Slowly, slowly, slowly. There's a lot yeah. to do, but slowly. Just need more people, but very slowly, and a bit more money. But yeah, <laughs> um, James, I'm very conscious. We are now at just past ten o'clock, and I think yeah. we're long question one. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, we we have we have gone through the, gone, yeah. the topics in a in a sort of winding. Yeah sort of way um do it in an adhd way which is great you know <laughs> yes yeah. well, i stick to that linear progression whoa i think I, Trend, you know, guys. i'm really sorry i, I think we'll i get did, there we just take the scenic route i did sort of write somewhere along the way have a free-flowing conversation and I think that's what <laughs> we kind of had yep, you did lush <laughs> oh bless um, you one thing we haven't really touched on kirsty yet i think you did some work to support other parents yes still doing that loosely so um at one point I was um taken on by the council to basically as like a parent support worker um so I did that for a short amount of time probably for about a year until obviously kind of things my end blew up and had to do home education and things like that so and that was lovely that was a really lovely thing to do but it was it had its really brilliant things about it. So it was based upon a short sort of 12 week intervention where you would go in, kind of assess the the sort of special educational needs of the child and set goals with the family to get things done. You could do all kinds of things. You could make referrals, you could 
um, you know, um, take these um, children and their parents to um, support groups. You could do any number of things. You could go with them and you could do um, sort of portage work and, and play work with the children and set things up like that. So it was, it was really lovely and really diverse. And it was, it was really lovely to actually feel like you could go in and have a parent that was kind of on their knees of, am I going crazy? Is this thing really real? Am I mad? Is my child doing this normal help? was quite often they were often at the point of desperation and to go in and say actually the reason why you're doing this uh, the reason why your child is is jumping up and down on your lap is because they need proprioceptive deep muscle input this is why get this book look at this stuff read this and the amount of parents I would have that would message and say oh my god thank you like I get that that's why he does that I'm not going crazy this is what he needs that's amazing. Thank you. And it might not be the biggest piece of their puzzle, but it might be the reason that they can sit down and have a cup of tea without their child climbing on them. And that might make all the difference to them. Um, and I just end up kind of adopting these people. And they just become my friends, <laughs> which is lovely. It's just so lovely. I'm, I'm the least professional semi-professional that I know, I suppose, because I just end up like, yes, you come with me. I'll help um, and just this week, actually, I've helped uh, one of my friends to so going sort of back to first lockdown. She was thinking about applying for an EHCP for her child, um, which is lovely because he's part of my brain family. He's ADHD. So that was really kind of special for me. Um, and was, she was told by her school that, um, no, we're not going to bother applying for an EHCP because we've done that for other children and we just don't get them. And I was like, oh, that's not legal. Oh, that's not going to happen, though. Like, we can't let them get away with that. Come to me. We'll figure it out. So we kind of started the process of that. And she was kind of thinking, oh, my goodness, is this really going to happen? Will he even get assessed? I was like, yes, he will. Just have faith. Keep the end goal in sight. It will be okay. She had a letter back. She's like, oh, my goodness, they're going to assess him. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I said, it's okay. All will be well. I'm sure he'll get the HCP. Keep going, keep going. So she had the assessment. He's been awarded the HCP. So this week we've gone through and she messaged me and said, so I've got the first draft. So I'm just going to sign that and send that back. No, we never send back the first draft. Signed. <laughs> never. <laughs> I was like, bring it to me. We will sit and we will wheedle through it and we will make sure that all is well. Um, and it took us like two or three solid days of picking through things. And it, it was lovely in its way, actually, because her son has an awful lot of similarities to mine and obviously from an ADHD perspective of, of how her son works and what he needs and the movement and the stimulation and the getting bored easily and the, all of those things, reading those things, I was like, yeah, I, I so get your pain, you know, it was, so it was a really special one for me. Um, and yeah, so I just, I'm helping a lot of parents, but I'm kind of, I guess I do that quietly now, I suppose. Um, there was obviously, I can't even remember when, a year, two years ago, that I did quite a quite a, a good blog called Extraordinary Cornwall, which is still kind of there, which I wanted to bring back this year. And I tentatively post. And the reason why it's tentative right now is simply because, for me, on a personal note, obviously my eldest has, in September, started special needs secondary school. And for the first time in a long time, I have space to breathe. Both of my children are at school full time. 
And this has not been an experience I've had for the past two years. So um, instead of rushing onto the next thing, which is my solid default setting to never be still and, oh, there's that thing, let's do that thing, let's do that, let's do that. I've taken the advice of my many friends who have said, just do nothing, just be still. And fortunately, you know, we've got a nationwide lockdown. So if, if the universe is sending me a message, <laughs> it's, it's like, like look, it's chill, relax, be still. So I'm, I'm kind of trying, trying to honor that um, and posting on there when I feel really moved to write and to put something on there. But again, it's hard because I've got two conflicting sides. One that, that really wants to, I really want, again, to be that consistent person who's online every day and posting every day. But I'm also aware that my body and my brain will not allow me to sit at a computer for hours on end. It, it, that's not how my life works. I've got two children. I'm very busy. They need a lot of my attention. Mm. And I now need a lot of my own attention. Um, so... I'm just, I'm trying really hard to honor that and trust that, that I will come back to that as and when at a time that's right for me. So, but it's hard, but I, I still get a lot of contact through the page. That's still where people will message me and go, Oh, I've just saw this video from a year ago. Can I talk to you about that? I'm at this stage. Can we talk about that? Oh, I hear you're really knowledgeable about sensory stuff. Can we talk about that? So I'm still doing that, which kind of suits me, actually, because things, as you know, Tigger, will come along in peaks and troughs. You have a few people, then you have all the people. And that can't, but that kind of suits my brain pattern. So I'm quite happy with that for now. But yeah, but I, I miss I miss seeing people. You know, there was a point where, you know, I had a support group and and parents would come and they would cry and we would have tea and eat cake and just talk about things. And that was lovely. And I really missed that. So fingers crossed next year, hopefully when everything I say goes back to normal, but I don't think any of us want normal, normal back. Do we? Mm. Um, when things are uh, yeah, less scary out there, then fingers crossed we get to go back to that. So yeah. But that's just because when you help, when we help, when all three of us help, it takes part of our soul away. Yeah. But we still have to do it. Yeah. Because you've got to, because it's actually part of who we are. But again, that's something else people don't see is is the, you know, what time, you know, they, they ring, they call, or, you know, like, you know, you've got those two awesome kids and the cat I saw in the background as well. Yeah, my um, little kitten, yeah. Lush. Um, not I'm animal-focused at all. Oh, God, I am. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and it's 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 so so many layers for so many people yeah. are not seen in terms of their existence, and that's why the the support, even if it may not be as consistent as we'd love it to be, the yeah. support we give to parents, even with a text or a message, or even that 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 book you mentioned, the Out of Sync Child, which yeah. I just quickly looking because that's one of the first things I tell people to read. I think it's twenty years old next year. Yeah, but it's gorgeous. Yeah. And you think, but then what amazes me is how how come. I'm sorry, how can professionals aren't telling somebody to get a book that's 20 years old? And yeah. we are. It is a good book, and all the follow-up books are really cool as well. But it's just, but you know, that, that bit of support we give, be it a text or a post? Yes. Or a conversation, or as it used to be, coffee and cake, or tea and cake, as it might be in your case, yeah. um, or other things and cake, but um, is is so needed by so many people. Yeah. 
when I used to write a lot on the blog and I used to post videos on the blog, um, and, you know, I'm sure you are aware that part of ADHD is being a chronic oversharer. Um, so, <laughs> um, uh, Joe would kind of call my videos, like, basically, I'll, I'll put one of your snot and tears videos on again. I think people <laughs> do that. <laughs> so, and part of me would go, oh, and I'd kind of have that, that kind of big shame hangover of, oh God, I did that thing when I was really raw and vulnerable. And because I think, but, but people need to see that because as much as obviously it's so important to have the upbeat and positive side of, of being neurodiverse, there is also a intensely painful and vulnerable side to it. I think, I think you and other people that I know in this and other counties as well, that are able to do that. I think that is desperately important. Yeah. We mentioned my little YouTube clips, which you and a few others like as well. And they're from yeah. personal. I thought I'm not at a stage where I can do that yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, and you're right. If people only see one aspect, then they think that's all there is. When in fact we're multifaceted mm-hmm. in terms of the, you know, the three individuals that we are. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think it's important that people see the pain. I agree. And I think the problem is if, <laughs> if you are pushing all of the time the good stuff when people have those very real experiences either as a parent or as a person of neurodivergence when they feel the bad they feel ashamed for feeling the bad and that's that everything has a light and a dark everything and i think that there really does need to be that awareness of both sides of the coin and that it's perfectly reasonable to experience both sides of the coin and to be completely taken over by both sides of the coin. Um, and so, yeah, there will be times where I would cringe and think, oh, God, should I delete that? But actually, I think sometimes, you know, the root of decent empathy is to be able to say, yeah, that's shit. Actually, sometimes this is just really shit. It's really hard. It's really lonely. Mm. You know, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's at times can suck the life force out of you. I think it's really important to hear that. I think, I think there does need to be that balance. Um, but, you know, I will admit that back then posting those videos, I was in a place of, you know, really deep pain and loneliness. And I've spent a long time, probably the past two years, kind of working on different areas of myself and my patterns and things that work for me and things that were not working for me. And so I would probably do things in a different way now but I would still absolutely share the truth. And that, and that is another really fabulous part. I think of being neurodivergent, be it ASD or ADHD. Uh, we quite like the truth. We're quite straight talkers. And I, but that to me, my God, that is no deficit because there are not enough straight talkers. We only have to look at Downing street to see that there are, not <laughs> enough straight talkers there, there are some people around me that might say my bluntness on occasions <laughs> is, uh, is slightly problematic. But that's, that's another YouTube video coming up, but yeah, no, no, I'm, I've late. Yeah. A bit too blunt on occasion, sadly. Oh, like, I mean, well, you know, this Tigger, you know, we've had many coffees together and we've, uh, we've traveled together. My levels of inappropriate sometimes know no bounds, <laughs> but Hey, you know, it, it brings the humour and you've got to have humour sometimes. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm determined that this, this podcast will not end without me saying to the general public of the planet that will listen to this is that this is the young lady that started and got me 
into a tutu. And it was Tigger in a tutu. Do you remember that? To raise some money? Yeah. And I don't know if you've got any <laughs> photographic evidence. I don't know if I have. I'm a bit anxious in case I might. I reckon I can dig... It was for charity. I can dig it out. I reckon no. I've got photographic evidence somewhere. Okay. It was for charity. It was in public, I hasten to add. Um, it was a you lovely... You looked fabulous, walk. to be fair. It was something I never thought I'd do in my life, I must confess. <laughs> but um, I <laughs> changed his hair going, what? <laughs> yeah, it was real. I'd already warned him about it, saying this 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 thing that he got me into a tutu for charity. It was a full a full Tigger zip up costume from Yeah, it was a full Tigger onesie. It's a full Tigger onesie and the then a tutu. Beautiful tutu. But yeah. I think you've worn it before, if we're honest, because you rocked it very well. <laughs> I'm not talking, I'm not saying anything. I'm definitely gonna have to dig out a photo now. You are, aren't you? I shouldn't have brought that up, should I? Oops. Yeah, no, you shouldn't have done because I've got a really poor memory. So <laughs> <laughs> There you go. You've dropped yourself in that one. <clears throat> How are we doing? Are we like, are we on question two or three yet? I think we've pretty much come to the conclusion, really. I think certainly sense of humour is, is so important. I mean, all the other stuff, you know, in my, in my life, it's been masking... <laughs> For about you know, I'm 45 now, and I think I've only just been thinking about neurodiversity for the last couple of years. But um, certainly, most of my life has been masking. So I think without humour, I wouldn't have got through it. You know, sense of humour is so important. It's that double-edged sword, isn't it? We use it as a defensive mechanism, and we mm. use it because it actually alleviates the stress. Mm-hmm. And so depending about when we use it, it can be such a gorgeous, important tool because it makes you go, oh, okay. But also sometimes it's great there as a back off, get away from me, I'm protecting myself. I'll say a silly joke and, you know, see if it works. But, you know, the other great aspect of it is, is you know, for so many of us, it actually is a way of, what can I say, counting to 10, exhaling, going, oh, you know. Yeah. Because it can work. Yeah, and I, and I think a big part of it is is uh, social anxiety. You know, is is it's kind of diffuses it somehow. You, you you crack a joke, you get a laugh out of people, and you kind of think, oh, okay. You know, it kind of does take the edge off of that. It's a huge thing, social anxiety. It's massive, isn't it? Somebody said to me the other day in a fascinating conversation, and this is gorgeously true, that I am more jokey in certain situations of us, and I get it, but what they said was awesome. They said, you never seem to joke as much when you're with a dog. Yeah. And I suddenly realised, I know why, because the dog is like the best thing ever. Yeah. And I'm safe. Do you know what I mean? Wow. I yeah. And I, I, I thought long and hard on that, and I thought, oh, hang on a minute. You might be right. And that's another one I'm still processing and musing over. Yeah. Like a de-stressor. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, to be fair, at Ruben's school, they have a, a gorgeous dog called Nelly, who, for her breed, is, according to her owner, who's one of the maths teachers there, um, everything in a dog she shouldn't be. She's the wrong colour. She has the wrong coat. She doesn't really do much of what she's told. But she's a gorgeous de-escalation dog. So oh. when everything's too much, they send her in, and she's just lovely she, and they all get to walk her around the grounds and it's just lovely so I, I think there's something in that actually and I agree because on my worst days I can cuddle up with the cat and the cat knows when she can come and give me love yeah, yeah. and when she needs to back off 
And again, it, it can be a cat, a dog, a horse, snails, snake, lizard, yeah, spider. Oh no! No, sorry. <laughs> Each their own. Awesome. It's been really lovely to do this. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. We've covered some of the most important issues, I think, um, yeah. and I think it's come to a perfect conclusion as well, where we are sort of ending on, on the, um, you know, with, with the positive that comes out of being different, you know. Yeah. We'll take over the world one day, my friend. I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Slowly getting there. Well, just have to say thanks so much, uh, both of you, for coming on, especially you, Kirsty. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's it's really lovely. It feels very, very strange because I've just been in my my own little bubble for a very long time. Well, I think everybody has, haven't they? It is, isn't it? Yeah. And and, and thank you for letting me co-host. And Kirsty is a co-hoster. Thank you so much. What your journey shows is that that journey, ups and downs, is the journey that progresses forwards. I think that's what parents... Individuals need to understand it's it's you, you're gonna be boom one day, but the other day maybe not. And like you said, some days you can, some days you can't. But you're always progressing in yeah. a way, and I think that's that's something that that we all need to hear is that we can move forwards. It may look like it's minuscule one day, yeah. it might be a millimeter one day and a massive jump the next, but it is. And still I think I think forwards. also some of these things you just do not register the significance until you look at it with hindsight. Mm. Um, because obviously at the point where I'd taken, um, well, both children out, actually. Um, Leah I took out for a year, Reuben I took out for two. And everybody had said, apart from my ex-husband, who in his words told me, um, I'll have my opinion, I'll tell you my opinion, but you always do whatever you want. So I'll go along with it and I'll trust your judgment. Um, and... It was a big thing and everybody kind of, is this the right thing? Is this the right thing? Should you be doing this? You know, will you ever get him back into education? The county did not like that I took him out because he had an EHCP. You'll never get him back in. He will not transition back in. But in hindsight, me taking him out and spending that time on his social stuff, on his sensory stuff, putting those first and over and above the academic stuff, making him comfortable with who he was, making him comfortable to be out in the world around people concentrating on that primarily then meant I could have those conversations with county about transitioning him back in for the final half a year of uh, primary school which was at the beginning of this year and obviously emerged that come February March there was lockdown and he had to come home anyway but it gave me enough time to prepare my case for the fact that he needed to be in a special education school and I think it's when you look back over that over that and you kind of see actually the decision I made there led to this and that led to Mm. that Mm. and all of a sudden instead of seeing a series of doors that you felt were closed to you at the time were actually just made way for other ones to open and I think you think that's just the thing to hold on for is that it's the little wins the incremental gains that add up to something else I think there's there's a whole other podcast there's all about homeschooling I think as well yeah there's a whole good podcast there about yeah. how you did you that and what come you achieved. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be good. That would be good, I think. That would be lush. That would be, be good. That would be fun. Or maybe, maybe, maybe I could invite James as a co-host on that one, and I could do it via mine. Yes. And then you come... Yeah, that would be, that'd be 
that'd be brilliant that would yes. yeah definitely i'm a little bit anxious but yeah okay now that'd be interesting <laughs> i'll uh anyway <laughs> yeah yeah okay right yeah we'll, we'll talk about that at some point awesome well thank you very much thank you it's been lovely thank you have a lovely night okay and look you. after well, yourself for me my friend take care take care bye bye bye, bye. bye.